0: Thanks, everybody, for coming to today's App Academy Live interview. Today we're speaking with Aubrey Blanche, and we're talking about diversity, recruiting, uh, what it actually means to be inclusive. And we're going to get into all of that. Why don't we start by explaining who you are and uh, your role at your company?
1: Yeah, so I'm Aubrey Blanche, um, and I'm the Global Head of Diversity and Belonging at Atlassian, which is an enterprise collaboration software company uh, based in Sydney, Australia, uh, but we do have offices around the world. And if you're anything like my dad, you have no idea what that job title means. Um, And so I think that it's my role to help Atlassian build an equitable organization um, where anyone can join and thrive there. Um, because I think as we know the sort of the status quo of the tech industry is one that's actively discriminatory mm-hmm. um, towards folks who don't come from a very narrow set of backgrounds um, and so my job I think at Atlassian specifically is um, to help unleash the potential of every team at Atlassian which is mm-hmm. actually our mission for our customers so you think about how we pass that on so sort of the global tech ecosystem
0: yeah so that sounds incredibly interesting the first <laughs> thing I'm thinking about is yeah How do you do that on a global scale that seems incredibly ambitious what does that actually look like
1: absolutely so i think that's one of the great questions but i think the answer to that is we really really strive to be what i call globally cohesive while being locally responsive Um, so that means that a lot of the philosophies and the processes that create objectivity and Mm -hmm. fairness are the same globally Mm -hmm. so that's things like instituting Um, structured interviews and auditing your people processes for equitable hiring and promotion and development rates. Um, What you just change is which groups you're looking at, Mm -hmm. right? So in context, different types of groups are marginalized. And so for us, we think about those consistency about experience, about development are going to be the same everywhere, but the groups that I'm looking at are going to vary. And then, because we are a very distributed company, a lot of the work that happens at the grassroots level is something that I do in partnership with Atlassians all over the world. So um, we have a a culture, one of our values is be the change you seek. And so we try to create a culture that's open where people know that if there's something that should be in their environment and it isn't there, that they can either raise their hand to help build it or flag it to the right people and we'll, we'll get that handled. And so I think it's that partnership that allows me to be responsive to the needs of local communities while building the more global policies, processes, practices that mm-hmm. get us to that. I think of it as a high performing organization mm-hmm. and we know we've gotten there when we have adequate representation of those marginalized or underrepresented people.
0: That sounds really amazing that, yeah. uh, that you're working, that, that your company has a very specific role for this mm-hmm. that makes it a real, um, you know, real thing. But let's move back a little bit and let's explain why it's important to have this sort of a role. You mentioned underrepresented communities. Mm -hmm. You know, technology industry, we're in the 25th, 30th year, right, of Internet-based companies and and large profits. So let's go back and explain why we kind of need to have this sort of a role.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, at the, the basic level... Uh, The technology industry has for a long time had a lot of false mythology and false beliefs about itself and about people and their talents and where talent comes from. So the tech industry believes that it is a meritocracy, which is a very fancy word um, that means that people are rewarded based on their skills and abilities. Fun fact, the entire word meritocracy was made up by British comedians making fun of Americans who thought it was possible to have one. Um, But what we actually know is that tech is the furthest thing from a meritocracy, that the way that people are given opportunity is often based on where they went to school, which is mostly determined by how much money um, is on your parents' Um, W-2. And so what I do is I help companies align their intention to hire the best and right people with their actual practices, because what all of the empirical evidence suggests is that when you see for example more black women in an organization that means that the company is actually doing the best at hiring the best people Um, because because of human bias and frankly active discrimination we see that those underestimated folks don't actually make it into or thrive in those organizations so homogeneity is a sign of inconsistent or low standards Um, and diversity or what i think a much better word is balance um, is the outcome of holding yourself to the highest, most rigorous standards.
0: Let's dig into the balance aspect yeah. of it. Because before our interview started, we discussed the difference between diversity, or just the keywords of diversity, yeah. inclusion. You mentioned balance. You don't necessarily like the use of the former. Yeah. Please explain them. Because I think, think it will be really instructive to people. Yeah. Thinking about what diversity means inside of a tech company. Absolutely. And you know, taking into account the history of
1: these words? Yeah, so I think um, the entire concept of a diversity and inclusion is something we should just delete from our vocabulary. Uh-huh. Um, and I'll give you sort of the, the modern reasons that Atlassian has moved on, um, but also why I think historically um, it's not something we want to hold on to.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, Last year, um, every year Atlassian puts out, it's called the State of Diversity Report. It's mm-hmm. the only internationally representative survey on attitudes and behaviors mm-hmm. towards diversity and inclusion in the tech industry. Mm-hmm. Um, we collected it because I'm a research scientist and I wanted that data, um, and we work open. So we thought you know, the rest of the industry can benefit from having this data too. Sure. And what we found was that globally, not just in the US, that people associate the word diversity specifically with white women and black Americans. Now, the problem with that is that we know that language has right literal meaning and constructive meaning. Mm-hmm. And so if the idea of diversity literally means only these two groups, and this was true even internationally, mm-hmm. so Australians were more likely to say that black Americans were diverse than indigenous Australians.
0: Wow, that's interesting. Right, again,
1: because we've constructed this idea, and so there's a couple of problems that come from that. Mm -hmm. So first, it really limits the scope of who's being considered or helped. Mm -hmm. It very explicitly creates an us versus them dynamic, Mm -hmm. in which, and I have heard so many white men say this, I'm not diverse. Mm -hmm. And, And my response is, well yeah, it's a team level construct. You can't be diverse on your own or you hear hiring managers say, I want a diverse hire, it is so offensive to call an underrepresented person diverse, Mm -hmm. unless you want to call well-represented people stereotypes, in which case, I don't think that's kind. You shouldn't do it. But literally, that's what you're saying. so there's that, which is that it, it needlessly constrains our discussion, right? It ignores Latinos. It ignores the LGBT population. What about folks with disabilities or those who are expats face unique challenges? Parents and caregivers, veterans, mm-hmm. folks on the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. And so we talk about at Atlassian about building balanced teams. You know what's great about that? It doesn't communicate what balance means in a particular context, mm-hmm. but what it does do is actually help us have that conversation. Mm-hmm. So internally, what i found is switching that language has actually helped us have more productive conversations, in the US, especially around racial exclusion.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, we have a team that's gender balanced, that's fantastic, mm-hmm. but how is this team imbalanced? It gets to the question of, well, we don't, have maybe black or Hispanic team members? Mm-hmm. What are we doing to connect with those communities and provide opportunities for the awesome people that are there?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So right, it's literally more productive. Um, I also think that no one is gonna die on the hill of building an imbalance team, uh-huh. right, so you've already yeah. won. Um, and then with the idea of inclusion, I frankly just don't think that it's good enough. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the spaces that we're talking about are predominantly white and predominantly male right? That's mm-hmm. where they've been developed. And so inclusion is like saying to you know, myself, I'm a queer woman of color. It's like, yeah, you can show up as long as you demonstrate your power and your authenticity exactly the way a straight white man would. Mm-hmm. I can't do that. My authenticity doesn't map onto that. Sure. And so I care about belonging. Mm-hmm. I want to be in a space that's constructed for me mm-hmm. and constructed for people different from me mm-hmm. that we've been considered and thought about. Right. Um, I think there's some really interesting work that's being done, right, sort of in my world and sort of HR and, and talent, but also in workplace design can play a really important part in that.
0: So that's an interesting uh, note that you just ended with because mm-hmm. I had a question with you. I have several questions for myself and from the rest of the staff. I yeah. put it out to yeah. see what they wanted to ask you. And yeah. one of them was about design, and uh, we know that Ecclesian, I always mess oh, up the way it it's Atlassian. It. Atlassian, I know. So
1: you'll know it. Um, our co-founder, uh, Mike Cannonbrooks, is really into mythology, uh-huh. and so it's like Atlas, Atlas. who holds up the sky.
0: Okay. <laughs> I gotta get that in my head. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, the question was about uh, thinking about the the new building that they have here in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Thinking about design through either inclusivity mm-hmm. or balance. Right? Yeah. Uh, did the designers? Do you know if the designers thought about? inclusivity or balance when designing the space, did you or someone else have any input in that design and or how does that look like?
1: Yeah. So I would say um, uh, our workplace experience team, um, which is the one that builds our facilities um, and does a lot of our events. Um, They built our space with belonging in mind, Um, so I collaborated with them But I want to be super honest that they did things that I didn't even consider and What's really amazing is there's both empirical research and just listening to your community that'll get you there And it's usually not a huge time or money investment, but it's about intentionality So we've built a lot of features into our offices Um, San Francisco is a great example so tech companies have themes for their offices, as Mm -hmm. you know. Um, The San Francisco office celebrates our history and the history of San Francisco. So each floor is a different neighborhood. Um, But there are little elements of belonging that get built in. So research tells us that In workspaces where there are more plants and books as opposed to games and techy things, Mm -hmm. women are more likely to feel a sense of belonging. You'll see a huge amount of greenery all over the office. Mm -hmm. It turns out it's good for humans, like we just Mm -hmm. do better when we're around plants. But so it's good for everyone, but disproportionately awesome for women and gender minorities. Mm -hmm. Um, Also things like thinking about our restrooms. So we have a gender neutral restroom that's signed as such in the middle of every floor mm. that communicates not just to our employees but to our guests that we're trans inclusive. Mm-hmm. We even designed the bathroom signs for the gendered facilities mm. so that they don't depict people. They depict literally the facilities that are inside the room. Interesting. Again, because we don't want to reinforce what a woman or a man looks like, mm-hmm. we don't know that.
0: So going back to the example of the plants, yeah, what does that actually look like in terms of you mentioned underrepresented communities, having a better connection to have, yeah. feeling a sense of belonging in a space as opposed to having a pinball machine or yeah. video games. Why, why, does that of, happen? Yeah, why does that happen?
1: Yeah, so our brains, all of us, we're very social creatures. Yeah. So our brains are constantly scanning our environments and asking the question, do I belong? And when we don't get cues that say yes, mm-hmm. um, and that could be something as simple as, um, you know, all of the conference room being named after white men. Mm-hmm. Um, your brain will literally feel something called belonging uncertainty. Mm-hmm. That's going to decrease your cognitive performance, basically, because you become anxious. If you had the budget
0: for uh, like a little blinking light, yeah. say it again.
1: Oh, Belonging uncertainty? Belonging
0: uncertainty. Yeah, okay. it's,
1: it's a real psychological thing, yeah. but you think about it. We, we all want to belong. It's a basic human thing. But yeah. when you're in a space where you don't feel like you belong, or you're not sure, your unconscious mind is scanning your environment. Mm-hmm. And so because plants aren't super, super associated with a particular social group, so even though you know there are nerds and techies of every stripe and every orientation and demographic, that like the Star Wars posters and things like that are very associated with a particular white male culture. Mm-hmm. And so because it has those constructed meanings, if you don't belong to or identify with that group, it's more likely to send you the signal of no, you don't belong here. There's research that was done on universities and how many women choose to study CS when they're taught CS in a classroom that has like techie stuff versus books and plants, and you see big differences in their interest levels.
0: Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah. We have an example here at App Academy of an instructor who was a woman mm-hmm. and identified as such and she told the main instructor that she wanted to leave App Academy because this is years ago.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, before we started incorporating some of these ideas, too, uh, because we didn't have a lot of plants here. Mm-hmm. And she said, I don't feel like I belong. There are no plants. I don't feel good. Yeah. Right? And immediately the instructor went to the flower shop and we started to get some plants in here because it does make a difference. It right? does.
1: Yeah. I think it's it's the li- but I think that's a really the thing about workplace design. So to give you a couple of examples, yes. we have a library that's low light, no speaking, low stimulation space for mm-hmm. introverts or folks with autism. Anyone can use it, but or but it's especially great for folks like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we have really out, well outfitted parents' rooms, mm-hmm. right? To communicate that it's like please be a whole person here at work. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a reflection room in the office which has an ablution sink, so our Muslim employees or guests are able to observe their religious traditions, Mm -hmm. it includes mats and an altar in there, Mm -hmm. just trying to say, please bring yourself in. You know, we do welcome that, and Mm -hmm. that's both great for the folks for whom it's built for, Mm -hmm. but it's also a really lovely signal to everyone else that we consider everyone here, right?
0: Right. Yeah, That's a great point in that you're not just signaling to the underrepresented, but you're signaling to the already represented mm-hmm. that everybody's included, right? Yeah. That's really I
1: love that phrase, already represented. I'm probably gonna steal that if you don't Go mind. Go for it, yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah, Just tag me on it on Twitter. I love the, it, on yes, Twitter, full credit. At Formosa. Got it. <laughs> uh, next question, so um, you talk about uh, transparency in regards to diversity reports. For years, uh, tech companies were notorious for not being public uh, with this information. In your estimation and uh, based on your work where are they today broadly in being transparent about what we call dni numbers you yeah. call you know something balance else
1: and belonging. balance
0: and belonging and how are they're how are they going about to improving them
1: yeah so i would say um one i'm i think google 2014 put out sort of the first report and a lot of companies have followed um, I'm really excited to see that first step, but frankly, I'm um, uninspired by the lack of innovation across most of the industry mm-hmm. If that. Mm-hmm. Um, so one, um, at Atlassian, we seek, um, you know, really as a company, we believe that working openly mm-hmm. is the key to making progress on anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for us, we think of transparency as an incredibly useful tool to keep us honest and dedicated and moving forward, whether that means sharing what we tried and worked or sharing what we tried that didn't work, mm-hmm. um, because this is, you know, solving structural racism is not exactly a solved problem. And so we know that we're, we're going to learn along the way we actually report on the, the balance of our workforce at the team level. So you can keep me honest, you can go to Atlassian.com belonging, um, and you can look at what the average team looks like across our departments. And we think that this is better because it's way more transparent. Um, you can't hide, uh, so a lot of companies will say, oh, we have really close to gender balance. But when you dig in, all of those women and, and those minorita- folks of minoritized genders are all in HR and marketing. Right, while all the men are in engineering. And so we really, tr- by being transparent, actually strive to show where we have growth um, because we believe that will, our folks and folks externally will keep us accountable for moving forward. Um,
0: Part of transparency, too, yeah. involves uh, quick updates, right? Yeah. So you're not really basing any sort of public-facing data on something that happened years ago. You yeah. want to be as quick and really responsive to what's happening.
1: Absolutely. I think most companies update their data about once a year. Okay. Um, externally, although internally I track, um, we, we audit and track our numbers every single month, um, and keep our leaders, uh, sort of apprised of that. And for us, that's really good as a reminder that this is something that should always be top of mind, that someone is always looking at and considering. Mm-hmm. And I think over, you know, my four years at Atlassian, just constantly giving even people just information about where they stand. Mm-hmm. I have seen more engagement and more fantastic contributions from leaders who are just armed with their own data than anything else, because I trust that they know their organization better than I do, and I'm there to support them in building a more equitable and balanced organization, but I'm always really clear that I'm the support structure, you're the one who has to create the change and sort of do it, but I've found for our leaders where they have the largest gaps, the gaps can be motivating. If you help people take the first little steps, Right, like it feels good to get a little win and then you go, okay, now we gotta dig in and deal with the real deep structural stuff. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: so thinking about structural stuff, yeah, how do you work with the recruiting side of it, right? Yeah. Because that's, that's extremely important. And yes. something that we think about at, at App Academy. And um, so how, how do you ensure that when recruiters are out trying to get new engineers, to make things more yeah. diverse or balanced, um, you know, what do they do at, at Classium? Yeah, got, uh, that they're not doing so much.
1: Yeah, so I would say there's a couple of things. One, um, our head of recruiting just really cares about hiring people who believe that you know diversity is the outcome of holding people to the highest standards. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of what we do is think about, um, putting more structure in around our sourcing and evaluative processes. So we have a lot of tools. Our recruiters have sourcing libraries, so literally lists of fraternities, sororities, hashtags, professional organizations um, that are associated with particular underrepresented groups. So there's, a, there's quite literally a non-negotiable trade-off between time and underrepresented people, right? Because math, if they're rarer, that means that it takes more time to find them. And so what we try to do is build resources across the team that cut that trade off down, makes it easier to find those folks. Um, We also have implemented um, structured interviewing, um, which again, just a fairer, more equitable process, but it turns out increases the- What is structured? Structured, so really simple level, ask all the candidates the same questions for the same job. It's really, really hard to compare people if you're not actually asking them the same thing. Um, And making sure that you're asking them behavioral questions. So you're not asking, you know, what do you like to do on the weekend? Um, It's really about how did you navigate this particular situation, which will show what kind of skill they have in a particular area. Um, We also do something called a values interview. So a lot of tech companies have this idea of culture fit, which is quite literally just an intractable morass of unconscious bias and prejudice. Um, so you should absolutely uh-huh. never talk about it. Use it. Say those words. Think it's a valuable uh-huh. thing. Um, I usually tell talent leaders, "Oh, you want to hire for culture fit? Great. I don't know why you want to build teams full of groupthink and low innovation potential, but that is your right." Uh-huh. Um, and they're like, "What?" I'm like, "Yeah. So people who are different from each other working together create the best outcomes."
0: And culture fit is a sense of it's something that's been around yeah. Silicon Valley for a long time. But was the decided, Yeah. And it also a lot of the same people that created the same mm-hmm. problems, created the idea of what a culture fit actually is, Absolutely. right? Absolutely.
1: And yeah. so we, we talk about hiring people who are our values aligned. So you can check out our values. It's things like open company, no bullshit, which is our commitment to transparency. Or play as a team, which is about having fun, but also thinking about the impact you have on the people around you. Mm-hmm. And we developed a set of questions for that interview that are very specifically looking at people's behaviors, but that people could speak to whether they were running a global P&L function, or just getting their kids to soccer and ballet, and like getting dinner on the table, right? It's the same skill development, and so we don't care where you got it. Um, And I think that's really important. We look for people who are aligned to our values, but don't fit them, because we want to leave a lot of room for what people bring in that's unique and special and different. Um, Because we believe our culture will change with every person that we add to it. We shouldn't try to keep it the same, our values stay the same, and how we work together and respect each other stays the same. But what culture shows up as is going to evolve as we go from a thousand to three thousand to five thousand person company.
0: Uh, well, how many are we? At, at um, we're
1: about three thousand right um, now.
0: And moving quickly.
1: Growing there, yeah. pretty quickly, yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: I know that App Academy uses uh, the Jira. Jira, the, yeah. Yeah, one of your products. It's our so, first product.
2: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So thinking about. This uh, diversity and balancing situation and how recruiting plays a part in it, how do you think coding boot camps or essentially non-regular you know, yeah. college programs play a larger yeah. role in this? Uh, we understand that part of the problem has been former tech companies' reliance, many would say, a convenient crutch on uh, labeling this as a so-called pipeline yeah. issue, right? a pipeline problem. So where do coding boot camps and like such as App Academy, where do they fit in?
1: Yeah, so um, I would actually say that the the pipeline problem is a convenient fiction, Um, not even a crutch. Um, So we know that even looking at traditional degree programs that um, you know in in the 80s women in the US were getting 35% of CS degrees. We know that even now formal CS degree holders 11 to 18% is um, Latinx, or black, or both.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I think that there's a really important role that, that boot camps play in increasing the supply side. Now, not necessarily all underrepresented people, but often folks who come from backgrounds that would have been traditionally excluded from tech, whether that means they're people of color, they're women, they're women of color, maybe they just didn't come from an economic background that allowed them to get a formal degree. Um, But I think that that's a critical portion of creating change is just expanding the talent supply. But I don't think that there will be structural impact of that amazing work if tech companies don't come to grips with the fact that their beliefs and their practices undermine their ability to see the brilliance and take advantage of the contributions of those people. Um, And that's because they do things like ask algorithms questions that are strongly biased towards recent graduates from elite universities that have absolutely no correlation to engineering ability because all the engineers internally Google it. Um, right. and, and so I think it has to be a yes and solution where coding boot camps provide amazing talent for the industry that's so squeezed, right, for great tech talent, but that companies need to invest in growing junior folks. right? Everyone wants a senior engineer, but no one wants to train the junior ones. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a self-defeating sort of cycle. Um, But also need to be open um, to different ways of, of learning and evaluating potential because for folks coming out of a boot camp, you know, they're not going to be as advanced as someone who's had 4 years to practice a skill. But it's not because of the quality of training, it's because being a great engineer is often largely a product of just having the time to practice. Mm-hmm. And so folks coming out of a boot camp are going to have fantastic foundations, but are going to have a different ramp-up time, that their learning journey is going to look different mm-hmm. than someone who comes out of a formal university program Mm -hmm. and I think what we need to do is actually just think about how to serve both of those groups Mm -hmm. more effectively Um, but I think that's where the tech companies can really step up and partner there we have we have boot camp graduates and I think one of the things that I love is um, we ran a pilot program specifically for underrepresented women of color um, because that is sort of where some of the largest gaps are in engineering Mm -hmm. and what I love is that you know we worked with them through their program provided them with an internship, and then they were given the opportunity to convert to full-time. And 75% of our participants of a two-year-old program are still engineers at Atlassian, right? That's so really interesting. Proving wow. that it, it wasn't a pipeline problem, it was a vision problem on behalf of the industry.
0: It sounds just like like serious, uh, intentional investment, mm-hmm. right, in this, in this sort of... Uh, this population. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And, and understanding that their growth journey is going to look different, but also being able to look at engineers as more than just their engineering talent. And what I mean by that is the women who sort of participated in this program, they had one had a law degree, you know, they have careers before this, they bring in a level of professionalism and a level of sort of organizational skills that a, that a college student wouldn't yet have. Mm-hmm. And so it's about thinking about the balance of their skills And so maybe on the tech side, a university degree person might seem a little higher, Mm -hmm. but they have more development in the professional side, whereas often a boot camp grad is in the opposite bucket,
0: right? Right. A lot of people that have already gone through their careers, Mm -hmm. maybe people in their late 20s, 30s, even 40s, maybe 50s too, and uh, they have a lot of experience. Maybe they were former attorneys, Mm -hmm. scientists, et cetera, right?
1: Yeah. But, but, you know, being a successful employee is not just about the skills of your craft. It's also how do you impact the organization. Right.
0: Great. Thank you for that answer. Yeah. Uh, let's look at some of the other questions. Uh, um, so we talked about transparency. Let's see. Uh, so you're also involved inside and outside your company in investing, mm-hmm. in in balance and DNI. Tell us more about those initiatives and the main challenges that they face. It could be external, too. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So I advise um, a series of startups and Accelerator because I think that we have to be honest that this is a systems-level problem, and it starts with the money. Um, So underrepresented folks are shockingly underfunded. Um, I think the, the statistic is like a black woman raises on average $36,000, and a white man in, you know, raises on average for a tech startup something like over a million dollars. Even though black women are the most educated, most entrepreneurial, and most credentialed like group of people in America. Um, and also uh, you know female startup founders actually have better returns on the VC money that's given to them. Mm-hmm. So you can see this is a really irrational system. And so for me, I think about the fact that it's it's one thing to try to turn the Titanic, right? To change an organization into something that's equitable and balanced once it's been built, um, which is my day job. Um, But I think it's also really important that we just start building companies that are built correctly from the beginning. And that's going to require that we equitably fund people from underrepresented or marginalized backgrounds. I also want to be really honest Um, that I think it's a huge economic opportunity. Mm -hmm. So equity and equality um, is just good business in addition to being the ethical right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I said, you know, female founders uh, do more with less. But like if I hear about another pizza delivery startup, like not interesting, right? But we should be funding people who are from these marginalized communities that are underserved by tech because they understand how they work. I think about um, like the Latinx community, right, much more relational, much more community-based, how much really cool tech would come out of that sort of a framework mm-hmm. um, than someone who came from a much different culture. And I don't think the industry has seen the level of innovation that we should yet, and that's a huge opportunity.
0: Really interesting. So it's a say the economics side of it sounds
2: yeah. really difficult.
1: Right, like we can do social justice and make a bunch of money that we should then bring back to the community to help yeah. bring us all up together, right, tie our boats together. Cool.
2: Thank
0: you. Yeah. Uh, we inevitably we talk about how different underrepresented uh, groups in tech face different challenges succeeding. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned that you work with some of them. Can you give us some examples that can provide insight into some of these groups? For example, I know that you uh, you said that you're an advisor to Be Visible Latinx. Uh, what is that and uh, yeah,
1: so uh, Be Visible Latinx was a, a startup that was really looking um, to be a professional social network for the Latinx community. Mm-hmm. So people may not know this, but Hispanic professionals are actually the most underrepresented on LinkedIn. Um, I didn't meaning, know that. right. So, and there's also studies um, that I think came out last week that showed that recruiters are less likely to click on female and racially underrepresented people when they come up in a search. So you're talking about qualified people who are just less likely to be given the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. But I'll give you an example from the Latinx community in particular, um, I do a lot of just like mentoring and helping people with their resumes. And um, there was one woman, I was helping her, and I was like, you know, she grew up um, relatively low income, uh, helping her family out with her siblings, had worked a job growing up, but grew up speaking Spanish at home. And I was like, why didn't you write about that on your resume? And she's like, well, it wasn't a job. And I was like, so you're fluent in cross-cultural communication and capable of managing multiple stakeholders Stakeholders under both time and financial constraints, and she was like, "What?" And I was like, "It's exactly <laughs> what you did for ten years. Yeah, 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 yeah. You are just pretending like you don't have this incredible business acumen because you're not talking about it in the right way. Mm-hmm. And it's it's hard to say that we have to teach our community how to bridge the gap and communicate with the folks in power, mm-hmm. um, while well, folks like me uh, who pass." work on uh, educating uh, the folks in power. But I think that's it, which is, in a lot of ways, um, there's research. I think the new uh, sort of college admission scandal shows you that merit is always defined by whatever looks like what people in power have. Mm-hmm. And so one of the best things that we can do as underrepresented communities is say, fine, I'll speak your language about my brilliance and contributions.
0: That's really interesting yeah. and, and thoughtful. Yeah. Uh, and since we've got, we have it on camera, we're going to make sure that a lot of uh, Latinx people out there yes. use those same words that Aubrey used. Yeah,
1: remember, your resume is a marketing document. There are 50 ways to describe everything, and it does not matter whether you got paid for it.
0: <laughs> there you go. Um, cool. Thank you for that. Yeah. So, I guess we talked also about the inclusion side. Uh, let's talk about diversity fatigue. You've talked about this previously on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. and I found this a really interesting idea because I feel like culturally we're getting at this place, and I feel it even with people that are so-called allies mm-hmm. that want to do you know, good for themselves and for the community and to reach out to other communities, and yet we see a fatigue, right? Like, wh- yeah. what does that actually look like, and how does that uh, block possible
1: yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, so in the 2018 State of Diversity Report from yeah. um, we were actually able to quantify the existence of diversity fatigue, and mm-hmm. what that looked like was a significant, actually, deinvestment in corporate DNI programs. Mm-hmm. But also, in we looked at explicit behaviors, a 50% year-over-year drop in pro-inclusion behaviors. So things like participating in ERG, like you know, mentoring folks from underrepresented groups, lots of different things. This you can, is between
0: 2017 and 2018? Okay.
1: So you can uh, check it out at atlassian.com slash diversity slash survey. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we found is that everyone is sort of sitting in what we call this Venn diagram of exhaustion. Like we're all unhappy for different reasons. So first, I think for, for underrepresented or marginalized folks, it's really exhausting to constantly be pushing for change and not see much of it. Um, for folks who are sort of on the other side of the, uh, of the debate, they're really, really tired of hearing about it generally. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think there's the middle group of folks who are um, ally, allies or want to be allies, mm-hmm. um, but don't know where to start and are terrified because cancel culture means the first fuck up means you're done.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And so, and I think it's really important we acknowledge that because if we wanna make progress, we need to focus on a lot of things. So I think the most, the most important bucket to invest in is those unactivated allies. Because those tend to come from groups of power, sure. meaning they can actually change things. Yep. And I think what we need to do is, it's, it's really overwhelming if you're sort of just waking up to the reality of systemic oppression, mm-hmm. to realize how many problems there are and how big the scale is, it's yeah. overwhelming. Yeah. And so what we need to do is actually give people micro-actions. Mm-hmm. I always say like, give them direction at the team level. That's a thing we can all control. So, and also change the way that we approach and ask for support. So it can be something as simple as, please just institute a no interruptions role in your meeting. It turns mm-hmm. out that women, um, that women of color, people of color, introverts, folks from Eastern cultures are interrupted more while speaking in meetings. Wow. But at the end of the day, like it's just good for everyone to not get interrupted, mm-hmm. but that creates more equitable meeting. You can probably do that this week, right? Yeah. But if I'm like, please, like solve the curiarchy, yeah. you're probably going to go hide. Uh-huh. Um, so I think there's being really action-oriented with folks, but then also taking a growth mindset towards allyship. Um, I've had my own growth journey. I grew up in a 14,000-person town in northern Michigan where a lot of things I had to learn. And so I think what we need to be really careful about when we are um, growing and coaching allies is is embrace the call in versus call out mentality. Mm -hmm. So um, people talk about, yeah, so people talk about um, intent versus impact, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I always go in with assume good intent, but take accountability for your impact. And so for someone who's an ally that's messed up, don't call them out in public if they meant well, right? Pull them aside. Mm -hmm. Say, hey, I know you're trying to do the right thing, Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that what you did actually had the opposite of your intent. Here's a better way to do that. Mm -hmm. You would not believe how much more motivated someone is to improve and learn and grow, Mm -hmm. and if you're like, wow, you're such a misogynist, I can't believe you did that. (laughs) Like, that's basic human psychology. And so I think if we all embrace that when we're able to, when we feel able to educate, is educate with compassion and empathy because for someone who has lived in sort of the bubble of privilege or being a majority group member their whole life, it's a really difficult emotional journey to realize that you've been given this magical structural tailwind Mm -hmm. that the rest of us haven't. Mm -hmm. Um, And we need to create space for that journey because when you do create that space, um, the most incredible allies I know have gone on that journey and that mm. meant that they had someone to support them through it. Right. But they become the agents of change.
0: And a lot of it starts, like you said, maybe with compassion and understanding mm-hmm. where somebody is coming from. Yeah, from and things.
1: and why they might be terrified to mess up. Right. Usually comes from good intent, but you have to mess up to learn.
0: That's great. Uh, uh, we have a couple final questions. Yeah. I guess, uh, well, actually, let's talk about if you can Basically, we just talked about maybe intentional bias and the difference yeah. between you mentioned, yeah. like an ally, and not having the understanding of what that actually means. Can you talk more about um, why intentional bias is different from uh, unintentional bias? Yeah. yeah.
1: So I think like the whole um, of sort of DNI talks about unconscious bias. Like we just solve how the human brain works, and this all go away. And I think it's good to audit for it, but that's not gonna solve, overt prejudice is real, right? Um, People have beliefs about who can do what. Mm -hmm. I think in Silicon Valley, some of the most open racism I've seen in my life exists in the Bay Area. Um, Like people just saying openly things that like genuinely uh, jot my draw. Uh, But I I, I think that it's really important that that intentional prejudice, there's multiple ways to deal with it. So companies can just take a hard line, like we just do not hire or retain People who express those, those are legal questions. They're pretty easy to answer. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the biggest thing is also people have to be willing to not associate or to socially punish people Mm -hmm. who express those open biases. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I did grow up in America. I'm very much about, you know, the openness of speech and debate. Mm -hmm. But when you get to the point where you're expressing opinions that other people are less than human – Like, that's where the line stops, right? Because that devolves into violence, and I think we're seeing that all over the world. Um, This week, I think, you know, sending my love out to to communities that are affected. And um, I think that that, that's it. There's the intentional bias piece, and then there's this really subtle thing in the middle, which is fundamentally biased philosophies and beliefs that Mm -hmm. we have that get baked into systems. I think Mm -hmm. that is where you get the biggest change. Mm -hmm. I can tell you, because I did last year and I've seen it, So, just in the last year, um, I worked with our incredible head of performance. So she looks after our performance assessment, how we think about feedback, Mm -hmm. um, and we actually redesigned our annual assessment, Mm -hmm. like right down to the philosophies and bare bones. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we did was we built in um, that you're rated on your values, how you live the Atlassian values. Um, We also rate you on your role, like are you doing your job well, Mm -hmm. Uh, which is sort of what's traditional. But then we also added something called team. And that was actually about, what are you doing to make the company better? And that could be, you know, you're participating in in a Balance and Belonging program, or you're volunteering, or maybe you're just that person who's constantly sending educational reading material around, right? There's lots of ways it can show up, but we expect that your contribution is broader than just, like, putting your head down and doing your job. And that's a philosophy, right? turns out that changes behavior who gets rewarded in that system is different. The person who's really good at their job but mean to everyone is not gonna do well in that system. Um, And so I think that's where you get the most impact because psychological research shows that human beings, our behaviors and our personalities, are more a product of the systems and environments we're in. And so if we can just build the environments to incentivize people to be inclusive Mm -hmm. or to build a culture of belonging, that's when you're gonna get change. I think that the individual work is important to help people grow, but if we really want to do it, you have to rip out the infrastructure and put it back in so it actually works the way it was supposed to in the first place. It sounds
0: like such a powerful idea because the way that a lot of tech companies, or just maybe tech companies in general, the way that they think about companies is that not having the culture almost is led by the product only Mm -hmm. and you don't really think about how you can grow as you know, your own culture, it can be imbued into a culture and make it a part of where you are. Right? So that's, that's quite interesting.
1: Absolutely. I think yeah. that, um, uh, so Meg Whitman, uh, there's this quote where she's like, early in my career I thought that culture was one of the important things. Now I think it's the only thing. Um, and oh. I think it's really important that organizations understand that you ship your culture. Right? Mm -hmm. Everything about the way that you work and how you engage totally influences the way that you build products. So we did last year and we talk about having this culture of open, Mm -hmm. which means open ideas. We want people to be open about who they are. Mm -hmm. But if you that's built into our products, you know, pages in Confluence are unrestricted by default. Our internal instance, 99% of Confluence pages are unrestricted. Wow. Basically, it's just like if we have a legal or HR reason that we lock it down, we do that. And so you think about that with Jira, right? You can openly show And that comes from the way that we treat our people. That informs the product decisions we make. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why you need this balanced set of people building products Mm -hmm. because they bring different information. They bring different mental models, different ways of working Mm -hmm. together. um, And that gets built into the tech, right, because tech is an extension of us. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the industry is just Selling itself short and building much more mediocre things than is necessary because they only have a small set of the potential ideas and people in the room. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh,
0: and also, just to clarify, Confluence yep. is a management software, yes. so that basically anybody inside of the company yes. could figure out what's going on in another side of the company by looking it up. And since it's quite a good product, you can just yeah. do search.
1: I love it. What are people
0: looking for? It's what my are favorite. they talking about? What's marketing doing? Yeah what's sales doing, what's engineering doing? Yeah,
1: blogs, pages. So think of it as a completely unstructured collaboration tool. Um, Most people uh, at my last company before Atlassian, we called it the wiki. Nice. So yeah, if I have to pick a favorite Atlassian product, it's Confluence. Cool.
0: Is there anything else that you you think would be useful to people that are Mm. watching this that uh, they're thinking about in 2009 possibly getting into coding or maybe thinking about long-term about tech industry in general and yeah, diversity, inclusion and belonging.
1: Yeah, I would say, um, so for folks that are thinking about getting into coding, I think it's amazing. Um, if you're excited about engineering, but remember that there's lots of non-coding jobs in tech too, um, so make sure that you're going down the path that's perfect for you. If you are going through the coding um, sort of way, network a lot. Um, tech is very relational and given that we're still working on rooting out those systems which don't adequately value, mm-hmm. I think Folks, at least at some companies, those personal connections are gonna carry you a long way. Um, For folks who are in the industry, I would say question all of your assumptions about what talent looks like and where it comes from. Um, So Ryan Carson, who's in in Portland, he's the CEO of Treehouse. Um, He actually started where every time someone would come to him and say I need a senior developer, he says prove to me you can't take an apprentice instead. Um, and so he's really—I'm a huge fan of his. He's an incredible ally, but he's really proving that like the belief that you need a senior person is mm-hmm. almost never true. Mm. There are times when you do need a specialist, sure. um, but they're not quite as common as the industry tends to believe. And so I would say, be braver, be courageous, grow and develop people, because the likelihood is you're probably going to get something more amazing on your team than you would have otherwise.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much for coming. Yeah, this has absolutely. Been amazing. Thank you for having you. me. Of course and uh, hopefully we'll see you again. Thanks everybody for watching and we'll see you until the next one. Thank you.